Ah, g'day mates, g'day loves, how the hell are you? I hope you are doing fantastic. Welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast. Here we go. Another one uh, for the books and another week without Mr. Bruce Foreman and Scotty Henderson. I think they'll be in town next week. Um, anyway, this this isn't too long ago. Um, that uh, I'm just following from... Actually, it's continuation from last week. So we'll continue with that. Number 83. Damn it. We are moving up into the... Uh, the stratosphere and getting close to 100. Now, I, I'm going to throw this out there to our, our listeners, wherever you are in the world. We really, really appreciate you listening and, uh, and joining us. We want to hear from you. For our 100th show, we've been trying to figure out what we should do for our 100th show. Um, so if you have any suggestions, we want to hear from you guys. We really want to kind of make it special. Uh, maybe we'll have a bunch of guests. <laughs> <laughs> we can't even get any guests at the moment. No, we can. But we can't because Bruce and Scott are not in town. But um, I want to hear from you guys. Who do you want? Who would be the ultimate 100th, 100th show guest on Guitar Wank? 100 shows, that's pretty That's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. So let us know. Let us know what you think. 100 shows in. Who do we want as the 100th guest? Let us know. We want to hear from you guys. Uh, that would be really, really cool. We um, we do have a list of guests that are going to come on. We're going to have... Um, who are we going to have? Scott. No. <laughs> Josh. Josh Smith. <laughs> we're going to have Josh. Uh, we, we've been meaning to reach out to Josh. We will get Josh on the show. Great player. A great man. Um, yeah, so that'll be fun. I haven't met Josh in person, but I'm looking forward to meeting Josh. He's a really good bloke. I know him and Bruce are pretty good mates, and um, I'm sure Scott and Josh know each other, but that'll be really cool. I know Joel is a big fan of the show. We love your support, Joel. Uh, Josh's old man uh, lives in Florida. We didn't get to catch up last time you were just out, but um, yeah, it'll be really cool to have Josh on. I know we had a Josh. Adam Levy wrote in. Adam, I haven't had time to reply to your email, um, being a little crazy this end, but uh, I duly noted, and I'd love to have you on the show, mate. It'd be really, really cool, so we'll make that happen. Love to get you in and talk to, uh, you know, about what you've been up to and what you've done and all that stuff. That'd be fantastic. And thank you, and I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that you're, um, you're a listener of the show, Adam Levy. Uh, who else we got? We got Richard from Fender coming up. Uh, we're going to get the Quilter guys coming in. Um, doesn't it make you want to stay? Just hang around and just keep listening to our podcast. <laughs> I'll just keep mentioning guests, and eventually we'll get them on. Lukather, forget about Lukather. <laughs> we're not getting him on. It's going to take forever to release his book. <laughs> we'll get Luke on eventually. Uh, who else are we getting? bunch of people were like uh, Sonny Landreth was uh, thrown around and our good friend Jeff at um, truefire.com if you haven't seen Jeff oh, see now McLaren McLean McLean right McLean 
<laughs> I had it right and then someone wrote in and said I did it wrong. And then Jeff actually said no. He got it right. And now I'm all confused. So I'm just going to fuck it up, Jeff. We should get Jeff on the show as well because he's a great man, great player. Another great teacher. Doing. If you haven't seen any of his videos, check him out on True Fire. Robbie Garland, mate, we're still going to catch up for that damn beer. But uh, Rob's got a bunch of great stuff on True Fire too. There's so many good teachers out there. Um, yeah, you can really just get locked into just sitting at home watching that stuff and <laughs> not getting out there and playing. And I think we kind of addressed this issue in this episode. So a uh, nice segue there, Mr. Carbon. Yeah, so you go... Well, uh, yeah, we kind of address some of that. And I'm very guilty of that because it's so easy to just sit at home and, you know, try to learn all this stuff um, out there. Brian, mate, I know you're uh, another great blues player. He, uh, he'd be a great man to have on the show too. Um, who else we got? Mr. Troy Dexter. We're going to get Dexter back on the show because uh, the last time we had him on the show, our one and only guest on the show where the hard drive crashed after the show. The next morning, I started the computer, hard drive went down, no show. So that was one that disappeared into the um, the into space. So we're going to get Troy Dexter, another great player, musician, good friend of mine. Um, what else is going on? We have to thank our sponsors, of course. Uh, Deodario, guitar strings, Fishman, Jimmy Dunlop, guitar picks, My Music Masterclass. Um, what else we got? Wireworld Pro Audio Cables. If you need a cable, go to Wireworld. They make really great stuff. Uh, Sir Guitars and Amps. Mr. Johnny Sir, you've got to call me. <laughs> I've still got your amp and you've still got mine. And if we just want to leave it that way, I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. The Jim Kelly is uh, sitting well with me, mate. Uh, so give me a call, John. Uh, what else we got? Exotic pedals and uh, guitars as well. Ah, all this product. I tell you what, Doctor Z. Another. Uh, I'm a fan of Doctor Z stuff too, and um, also uh, Todd Sharp. Man, there's so much good stuff out there. <laughs> we need more gigs to make more money to buy more gear. That's pretty much how the world works. Uh, anything uh, out of that circle really doesn't make any sense alright uh, what do we get going on the world is crazy at the moment and thank god we can deliver you guitar wank interesting times ladies and gentlemen interesting times so that's why we are bringing you number 83 guitar wank so you can get your head out of all that crap and get it into this crap and sit back and relax and listen to the soothing Timbers, Mr. Bruce Foreman, Scotty Hendons, <laughs> and uh, yeah, see what they have to say. I haven't spoken to Bruce in a couple of days, um, and Scott is missing in action. He's somewhere, I don't know where he is, but uh, I believe we will have a new show next week. That's what I've been promised, so um, I'm excited about that because I kind of miss these guys. I, I was listening to the show before I put it up, just. I didn't get to listen to all of it, so there might be shit in here that probably shouldn't go up, but it's going up. But anyway, I listened to the show and it's like, damn, I, I kind of miss these guys. So I'm excited for them to get back and uh, and catch up with what they've been doing. I hope maybe some of you got to see Bruce 
and uh, Whit Smith in Texas play. Those guys are tearing it up. And if you saw Scott tour, I heard he's been just absolutely killing. Uh, I heard that Scott said he just he's just had an amazing tour and everything's been going fantastic. And and that's huge for Scott. If you watch listen to the show, you know how particular Scott is. So yes, that's that's fantastic. that's so good to hear. I'm. I'm excited to hear from Scott and Bruce and hear what they're doing and what's been going on. Anyway, so that's that. Uh, what else has been going on? I can't think of anything else. I'm sure there's a shitload. We're going to have uh, a, a bunch of cool stuff. So remember, the 100th show, the 100th episode, the ton, the big one. Who are we going to have? Who are we going to get on the show that is just going to take Guitar Wank over the edge? It's just like, holy shit, bags. That Guitar Wake episode was worthy of 100 because of that guest. Who's it going to be? We must decide that. So let's start that now. I'd love to hear from you guys and let us know. Um, T-shirts and mugs. If you're waiting for a T-shirt and mug, I know there's been a few people. There have been delays in the mail room. I uh, I will get on the male person <laughs> and and the female person to send that stuff out make that happen so hang tight and uh wear it proud uh also let us know would you guys be interested in hats guitar wank hats if they look really really cool the logo is that something you'd want to wear over a t-shirt i can't think i would i'd rather wear a hat than a t-shirt half the time yeah interesting all decisions to be made as we go into uh the end of 2017 getting yeah moving towards that um i think that's it let's get into the show just wasted enough time (laughs) dragging it out um and if you have sent in a question we will get to it i'm making a list of all the questions and we'll make sure we hit those questions and get them out until then Let's get on to episode 83. Mr. McCubbin, shut up. And uh, let's get on with the show. Mr. Scotty Henderson, Mr. Bruce Foreman. What do we have in store for the listeners this week? Kind of what do you call them? Inverted. 
would rather sit here and watch YouTube videos of my music masterclass or whatever than have to go out there and force themselves into the public in a business style manner. Yeah. It's almost like I don't want to work at the bank because yeah. I don't like people. I don't want to have to deal with people. I don't want to work at a job where I have to deal with people. Believe me, if there's any job where you have to deal with people, it's music. All kinds of people. Musicians, agents, club owners, promoters, roadies, light people, everybody. Sound men, idiots. Fair. When I say sound man, I mean idiots <laughs> in the same... You know, I mean sound man We're going to get a sound man idiots. on the show. So, so, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. about that. Yeah. So, more than about music yeah but I, I would say that because of where we are with technology and society and what we have as distractions and stuff that can keep us home and it's an ex you find an excuse well you know i can sit here and do this on the computer or blah blah blah. compared to what you guys had where it was like fuck what am i gonna do sit down and watch tv or whatever i'm gonna go out i'll there's, well, there, there is another thing, another element here, and I'm not dis <coughs> not disagreeing. I'm adding. He's adding. <clears throat> it's very important. I'm Scott, he's adding. There's, I, I mean, <laughs> he knows better than to disagree with me. <laughs> you know, I'm going to add punching sound effects over this whole thing. <laughs> douche, 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 douche. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, today's society. Because of the internet, in a lot of ways, we have fetishized information. Yeah. So, like, and a big part of playing really isn't isn't about knowing more shit. It's about having imagination and being able to do a lot with what you know. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of software than just knowing a lot of shit. That's like hardware. It's, you're just filling more stuff onto the hard drive. But the playing part comes from imagination and the ability to take what you know and make it work mm. in, many, in myriad ways and continually be interesting, you know, because however much you know, it's only a limited amount and yet you have to play for a long time and continually keep shit happening so a lot of the modern mindset brought on us by the internets yeah the yeah the technology the internet. <laughs> the, you know the technology because it's not necessarily the internet there's lots of internet. Uh, you know you can't blame the internet i mean it's just it's part of it it's the conduit to information because we have all this information we start to think that he who he or she who has the most information is the winner and that has, is having an effect on music and musicians, in my personal opinion. It is. There's no, it's not, I don't think it's an opinion, it's a fact. Okay. It oh, well, you guys agree on so something tonight. No, it is a fact. Because, <laughs> because that's what people think. They, whoever knows the most is the best. Yeah. And, and I really believe it's because of our conduit to this unbelievable, un, you know, unlimited amount of information. But it's also because they see so much more. They see a guy playing and doing these amazing things on the guitar. And they think in their minds, I'm not ready to play a gig until I know as much as that guy does. 
Mm-hmm. And that guy yeah. can might not even be able to play a gig because yeah. all he can yeah. do is that thing that he's yeah. been practicing but, for a hundred years. We've talked about certain players that that know a whole lot of stuff. We don't mention their names, but we, me and Bruce, often talk about some players we know who have an incredibly big vocabulary. Definitely bigger than mine. I don't know about bigger than Bruce's, but definitely no, bigger than mine. Bigger than mine. Yep. But they can't play for shit. Mm. They really can't. Because they just can't. Yeah. And they never, they just, maybe it's because they never played enough with people. And they just played all by themselves. And the whole idea is regurgitating information versus making stuff yeah, up making and being in the moment. Happen. And I have friends that, and I won't mention their names, but I have friends that are really good players and never really did anything with their careers because they just didn't get off their butts. It's simple as that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you talk about writing and the composer that said, you know, the hardest part about composing is the application of the ass to the chair. Because <laughs> it, it is. Just getting started, that's the hardest part. The hardest part about. part about practicing is getting the guitar out of the case. Yeah, right? that's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just um, people, it's real easy to sit there, you know, and, and, and just sort of like daydream about how things are going to be once you get enough knowledge into your brain. Mm. It doesn't work like that. I mean, imagine B.B. King would be nowhere. (laughs) You know, I mean, he had a great, amazing career with not a big vocabulary at all, but he just tore it up, man. You know, Albert King, too, and all these great blues musicians just tore people up, man. You know, broke their hearts, played, played their asses off, and and touch so many people with such a limited vocabulary. And they did it because they knew what to do with what they had. Yeah. They didn't have to sit there and, well, geez, I don't think I'm going to go out and play the blues tonight because I need to know more about the Lydian augmented scale. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what you guys are saying, you, uh, and Jesus. We, we do do that. We, like, I think... More so than ever, people are stuck in that that route of well, constantly wanting to learn more because information is so readily available now. What you did that we and again back to my word and I and I know it's kind of a modern word, but fetishized it. That's we have taken it. That's become the thing. We're infatuated with it. When you know, like, come on, get out and play. Yeah. Make make shit happen, and, and 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 no one here in this room, I believe, is 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 like, is advocating for be stoop being stupid, or not knowing more stuff. It's always great to know more things and have have a have a have a diverse vocabulary and having awareness and knowledge. That's a great thing, but it only works when it's. It's being, I, I like to think of it as kind of like cake batter. You know, when you get the cake batter going really nice and it's silky smooth and then you just add a little bit of chocolate and all of a sudden the color changes uniformly beautifully, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when you got a guy that's been playing and has imagination and can take what they do and make it work, and then that, that's that cake batter that's really like smooth. And then he learns a new lick or a new concept or understands music from a different perspective because of a piece of information. You put that in, it's like that blueberry that turns everything a little bit blue. You know what I mean? As opposed to the guy that knows a bunch of shit but can't play yet, 
that's the clumpy thing that's just flopping around in, in the bowl and nothing's happening. It's a bunch of isolated shit that's trying to work and none of it does because they have no experience in terms of dealing with the reality of making it happen in, with people, you know, and dealing with the, the problems and the advantages and the excitement and the nervousness and the pissed offness and the bullshit, you know, all the shit you deal with in that situation. To be able to pull that all together and transcend it into something else. So that's where, like I say, if we just say, well, I know 50,000 solos. Okay, that's great. You know, can you play? Do you know any songs at all? Can you play with other people? You know, I'm going to drop you in the middle of some place and you don't even know these people, you don't even know the language, and they're playing. Can you just, like, figure something out to do with them? I can play solo. I'm getting kind one. of woody though about that. That I got a woody man. That story about him making that cake and the <laughs> wearing, wearing that hot apron in the kitchen, cooking that cookie dough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe but, but, we should do guitar. Am, am I am I not making sense here? Oh, you're yeah, making a lot of sense. sense. You're making a lot of sense. Well, so I mean, it, it's just it's like play, and and you can actually back to something I said probably now six episodes ago. Uh, you can you can play by yourself. What? That's no. the, that's the concept that people are missing. And you know, I mean, and I did, even did a video from my music masterclass on solo play. Just devote a certain amount of your practice time to playing. And and the way you would play, whether it was sitting on the stage at Carnegie Hall or imagining yourself with a good rhythm section and just playing and just making shit up. And playing a song, you know, I don't know about you, but most bands play songs. Right? What? That's, I never heard of that before. <laughs> Does your band play songs, Scott? Yes. Does your, Troy, your, oh, when you play, it's usually songs, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so maybe we should start thinking about practicing in the context of songs. Learn the song. You know, let's not do as much work on the Lydian augmented scale. And let's take a little bit of that time and really learn a song. I mean, learn it. Know how it goes. Understand the possible, you know, permutations of the harmony. The way to, to actually play the melody in various octaves and in various positions on the neck. You know, really develop our ear that way. Learn to be able to solo using the melody, using the key centers, using substitute harmony, using the real harmony. You know what I mean? Like, let's like really dig into a song. All these things that are going to really serve us when we go to play songs with other people in our practice, along with learning all the cool licks and studying all the books. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying devote a part of that time to basically playing. You know, and maybe even turning a metronome on so that you, it's like you're playing with a good drummer who's sitting there snapping his fingers or her fingers for you mm -hmm. while you're playing. So it's encouraging you to listen while you play and encouraging you to be engaged with the groove that's being provided because that's something you need to have happen. Why are we spending all our time learning shit without worrying about how it's going to work in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. And that's what I was talking about years ago. Well, there's guys and students and you know, younger kids that don't have the same opportunities we had because 
you know, the geography, if you're, if you're raised in a small town, I was raised in a small town, I could easily just go down the street. I had all my buddies, there was a drummer. It was all about going over to somebody's house where there was a drum set set up and a bass, and, and we played every day. And it was just always like that ever since I had my very first guitar. It was always about the band. Yeah. You know, from, from day one, I got a guitar, now it's gonna, I'm going to play in a band. And I was in a band the day after I bought my first guitar. Because the drummer had it set. It actually wasn't a drum set. It was Tupperware. He, hit, <laughs> he had drumsticks and he played the Tupperware. So did you play Tupperware like, parties? It's, uh, yeah, we should have. It's not unlike your drummer today, it Scott. Just like, it was just, you know, it was a bunch of guys getting together. We didn't sound like much, but we tried to play songs and tried to play, you know, copy the Beatles and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But, but... In a big city like L.A., when you have to drive for 30 minutes or an hour to get over to your friend's house and play some music, it's not as easy. It's not as easy to, to do that, I guess, in a big city sometimes. It, maybe it's easier in a small town. You live really close to someone, and you go over to their house and play music with them. But every time you play music with somebody, you learn something Yeah. And, and, and that you can't learn at a school. Fortunately, you know, I'm sure at Bruce's school, and I know at my school, we do have, you know, mandatory performance classes where at least the students do have to get up there and play with other people. They have to play with bass players and drummers, and that's part of their gig. Yeah. They won't graduate unless they do a certain amount of that. I think it should be more. Yeah. But it is what it is. At least they do it. Yep. You know, where I have seen some schools that don't even offer that. Because obviously, if it's a guitar school, there are no drummers and bass players. That's one of the, the good things about going to a school where it's a multi-instrument school, where at least you do get to, you're forced. you got to get up there and play a song with this bass player and drummer, and we're going to grade you on how you play it. Thank goodness for those kind of classes, because those are probably the classes where you learn the most yeah. about playing music. Yeah. But if it... If you're not at school and you don't have that opportunity, then you have to make that opportunity for yourself. Like, like I did and like Bruce did and like most good musicians did, you find other people to play with whether you get paid for it or not. It's a jam session or it's just a, a thing. I used to, man, I mean, when I was in college, I used to go to a jam session every single day just wow. to play standards yep. for hours. Yep. Nobody got paid. It was, but it, but you were expected to be there. It's like jam session tonight, nine o'clock, and we would go from like nine to one See and play it. and play. It'd just be like a gig. Yeah. And we would play. You know, have you ever played this tune? Let's try to play this tune. We would rehearse it and we would play it, and nobody had any any ideas about booking it. We weren't ever going to book a gig. There weren't any gigs. There weren't any place to play. But it was that the music. it was the hang. It, it was, was some music and, and yeah, music with your buddies. That's awesome. And man. that's it. It's that's, that's it. That's awesome. And we were all learning, and we used each other to learn from. You know, I mean, somebody knew something that I didn't, or I knew something that someone else didn't, or I knew a tune that the other guys didn't know. Or they knew tunes that I didn't know. All a total learning experience, and all. For no reason other than just to do it, just to yeah. get better, just to practice. Yeah. And I think I probably learned more at those sessions than practicing at home by myself. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I did. 
Yeah, that's the message, I guess. Just to you know, to hang with other musicians and play rather than sit there and watch YouTube and watch videos of other people, people playing. <laughs> other people playing when you need to really be out there playing, playing yourself. yourself.
say I mean I'm kind of a little bit emotional right now because I just read a letter from a friend a uh, dear friend of mine died oh, today and uh, a great man he wasn't famous like Alan Holdsworth but he was a great bass player and a great spirit and mentored a lot of musicians and always made the world a better place through music and really helped everybody i mean he was an amazing you know and teacher not in the sense of a classroom where he taught but in the way that everything he did was just an example for all of us how to live our life you know what i mean his love of music was pure his creativity was an imagination always shown through and uh i just got a letter from he was a bass player and his Drummer pal, they were these guys are so great together, man. You know they were together forever. What what part of in San Jose, San Jose, California? Okay. You know, but I mean all around the world they played. But yeah. um, and I was just yeah, I just kind of 
sent a letter to the drummer because it had been very kept under the wraps. It was just sort of a sudden thing. Oh, man. And I just want to say that this is, it addresses what we're talking about, which is guys lose the information, live in the music, live in the, the opportunity to reach out and interact with musicians and learn and feel and be a part of humanity and to reach out to audiences and make them feel and inspire them to do great things and be part of a community. You know, don't let this screen shit, this, it's not the thing, you know what I mean? It's, it's ultimately, it's, it's, it's loneliness. Compare in, com- in comparison mm. and fetishizing the information and knowing a bunch of shit on the guitar while sitting on your bedroom bed or your, in your little office it's great but it's not like just playing the blues with the pals yeah. and the world needs you the world needs you this man lived a wonderful life and left a legacy that we all need to aspire and he inspired us and we need to aspire to that legacy and every day we're living on borrowed time because we're next. Yeah. And just remember, it's the humanity in music that makes it beautiful. Reminds not, me of when, not the details. Reminded me of when Carp died, you know, because him and Novak were like really good friends. And they played so much together. In fact, they played with Holsworth. I think they did Holsworth gig for yeah. a long time. Oh, they, yeah, they did. Both of them, right? Yeah. They were both in Holsworth band at the same time. Yeah. And, um, you know, boy, that hit Gary really hard when Carpenter died because they played together so much. They were like pretty much joined at the hip. They yeah. played a lot of gigs together and they had, right. they really knew each other really well as musicians. And Carp's death was really hard for, for Nove and for all of us. I played with him. One of the very last gigs he played, I was on it. Wow. Because Gary and uh, Gary and and um, Carp, they had a trio with Darren Johnson, mm-hmm. the piano player, really great piano player, yeah. really awesome. And they had a trio, and they invited me to play with them one night at Lavalie, and I played that night with them and had a great time, and it was a really fun gig. And I think like two weeks later, he was gone. Wow. Yeah, and that that for me was hard that was the that's the closest to death i've ever been like to have a friend that i just had jammed with like pass away you know and it was a kind of the same thing almost with with alan because i had just seen him at nam yeah like i i was just grateful that at least i i did get to see him one one last time because i you know He's a guy that I normally would never see. Yeah, you know, he doesn't play here very much, and when he played, I was on the road a lot. I I missed his last two gigs, and um, yeah, but I got to see him at Nam, and 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 the funny thing was, is I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, it, it looked like he w- was fairly healthy, so it was wasn't really prepared for that, you know, because he he looked fine, and he was really up and just. Yeah. Laughing and did he die of a heart attack or what was it? I don't think they let out the reason right. why he di- why he died, but um, but he just looked okay and he seemed okay. Yeah. He was really up and very talkative and laughing and having a good time and hanging out with a lot of people, friends and stuff. 
And I'm just glad I, uh, you know, I, I made a joke. I went up to him and it, like I've talked about here where he called, would call me at four, you know, and I, I'd say, I just went up to him and said, Alan, why don't you call me at three while I'm still up? I go to bed <laughs> around 3.30. You always call me at four. And he said, okay, I'll try to remember to call you at three. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was funny, you know. We just had a good laugh about it, and we were just talking a little bit about his project and you know his new stuff. And he was telling me that about Vibe Station that he liked it. And I mean, he left a big one of those kind of wasted "I love you, man" messages, yeah. you know, on my machine when you could tell he'd been drinking. And yeah. he went on about Vibe Station for like ten minutes. <laughs> You know, about how great it was. And I'm going, well, yeah, it's a pretty good album, but it's not that good. <laughs> he was, but he was pretty oh, hammered. You know, he'd been drinking some of that homemade shit that he, <laughs> that he makes. But he would leave right some pretty long messages sometimes. And I would go, well, Jesus Christ, I'm going to call him back. And I'd call him back the next day. And, of course, he never answered, <laughs> ever. That's the longest case, the longest, longest phone tag ever. In history, Damn. I think we've been playing phone tag for ten years. Wow! Yeah, hadn't had a conversation with him. Like I said, a lot of people had wrote, wrote me after he died, and they were, you know, like, "Oh, my condolences, Scott." Like, like me and Alan were really close friends, and we were friends, but we hadn't had a conversation in probably ten, fifteen years before I saw him at Nam. Wow! Just because of all the phone tag, Damn. but lots of messages. Lots of messages. Every time he'd put out an album, I'd call him to tell him how much I liked it. Yeah. Every time I put an out, out an album, he would call. He would or any time that we ran across a mutual friend, he'd call, leave it on my machine. Hey, I just ran into... And it's like, seriously, we talked to each other through our message machines for like 10 years. <laughs> Never talked to him in person. <laughs> That's funny. It's just man. really weird. Yeah. <laughs> Not an easy guy to get a hold of. That's for sure. I don't think he answered his phone. You know, I just don't... I don't think he had one of those phones that gives you the number of who's calling. Right. So he was just... Old yeah. school, right? The phone's ringing. You don't know who it is, so don't answer. <laughs> I think that was how Alan was. Yeah, yeah. Leo told me that he rarely picked up the phone when he would call. Leo was, was Alan's agent as, right. as well as my agent for certain parts of the world oh okay and, yeah and so i heard a lot of stories that i don't want to tell now but i have so many stories from being alan on the road from leo because leo was uh touring with alan for the last 10 years so leo knows him better than anybody yeah and i hung out hung out with leo all the time so i have a lot of stories but but um he did say that about alan like if you're trying to get a hold of him good luck because he doesn't always answer his phone. And Hard for a manager. <laughs> doesn't really. Yeah, it, it. Alan was one of those people that that you know. And I'm not going to start this conversation now. This is for later. But you know, Alan was Jocko esque. Hmm. Had some things about him that were you know would would be very hard if you're trying to work with him on a professional level and booking gigs and doing all this kind of stuff that managers and business people have to do. He would be a hard, hard person to work with, and, right? And like a lot of musicians are, but Alan was d definitely had those tendencies sometimes to be, uh, you know, not so reliable on the road, you know, and and 
I shouldn't have said that. It's too early to say stuff like that. But I have some funny stories. Yeah. yeah. That just hilarious. And they're not like always negative. Just funny shit that Leo would tell me that would happen on the road with those guys. And it was so funny. <laughs> and I heard a lot of stories too from so many people I know that worked with Alan. Like like Novak and, yeah. and Jimmy Haslip and uh, um, Kurt Covington and... There's a lot of people I know played with him. Yeah, yeah. And have really funny stories. So, at least I, I, I'm glad I got to know some things about the inside world of working with Alan. Did you, you, did know? you get the same play a lot? Yeah, I saw him yeah. at least, I don't know, at least 10 times probably. Or yeah. Maybe not 10, maybe 7 or 8 times saw him play. In fact, um, on Alan's first... One of, one of, I think it was the very second gig that Alan played in the United States, I opened for him. Oh, wow. With Jeff Berlin's band. Yep. Me and Jeff Berlin and Vinnie Caliud on drums, and we opened for Alan. And this was at the Country Club in Reseda, which is, was a huge, I mean, a giant club. Yep. And uh, there's, I don't know how many people, but just, it was a lot of people. Big gig. Yep. And, um, of course, everybody was just freaking out because here was this guy that they'd been listening to for a long time and finally, after years of just wondering, does this guy for real? And then he comes and it was a major event in L.A. Wow. And every guitar player in L.A. was there. Wow. And, um, and you know, opening up for Alan was, was nerve-wracking because, man... Can imagine back then, but, man. But you know, t t t we we did really well. I mean, the people really dug it. We were playing a lot more down to earth music that, than Alan was playing because yep. Alan was playing his original music, which is you know challenging to listen to. They had a singer. Oh, okay. It was that first IOU band. Yeah. Yep. You know, and Jeff Jeff's music was quite a bit more, I guess easy to listen to you know, more traditional fusion than alan's music right but um so you know it went over fine it was it was it was an okay gig but but for us but the main thing was just getting to see him play for the very first time and it made an impact because no one had ever heard the chords that's the whole thing when alan came out on the scene it was nothing but single lines just the voice, just the saxophone. No one even knew he could play a chord. Right. And then he comes out with this incredible Stravinsky-like chordal thing that just took everybody's surprise. No one, no one ever heard him do that before. Wow. Because he didn't do it on any records that I know of, that anybody knew of. And it was just like, holy shit, shit. what is this? Because he had that whole, you know, he invented the, the multi-tap delay what we call the praying sound. You know, the volume pedal swells into the multi-tap delays. That's actually a, a technological invention of Alan's. Wow. Alan invented that. I never knew that. You didn't? No. I thought everybody knew that. No. Yeah, Alan invented it. He's the inventor of that thing. Hmm. It's multi-tap delays that are not in rhythm with each other. So in other words... If you played a note by itself, it would not go It would go right. completely random. Yep. 
that's what it would sound like if you picked it. But when you swell into it with a volume pedal, it sounds like a synthesizer. Mm -hmm. It's like a long pad, and you don't ever hear any ya 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 ya. You don't hear any of that bullshit. It's just long and beautiful. And when he played that sound, people thought he was playing a synth, and he wasn't. He was playing, you know. And that's another thing that I have to admit to stealing from Alan, because I use that sound on some of my records. I use it on every record at some point. I don't make a big deal out of it, but I do use it, because, man, it's one of the hippest, greatest comping sounds ever. It's like having a whole string quartet behind you. Wow. When you're, when you're playing, it's a wonderful thing. And then, you know, uh, I don't know if you know about the UD Stomp, the Yamaha UD Stomp. No. Well, Alan, uh, what, what he basically did was he took that formula that he invented for, he used to have like something like six or seven digital delays because it would take six or seven to accomplish. Wow. Because back in those days, digital delays were mono. Mm -hmm. So it would be like six of them panned left, right, blah, blah, blah. Well, or eight of them actually eight different taps right so the the yamaha made this uh ud stomp for him which was a pedal that was about this big about a big square pedal and alan not only gave him all his formulas for his chordal sounds but yeah. also for his the way he would do his solos in the studio like guitar in the middle uh 30 second millisecond 30 millisecond delay on one side 60 millisecond delay on the right and just bring that up a tiny little bit in the mix until the guitar became a stereo image wow so okay he had a lot of those patches yeah and they were all in this machine every single thing he invented with delays was in the yamaha ud stomp now it's like a treasure to have one because really? it's basically alan's whole library of patches, delay patches in one unit. What is it? And not only did he put it in the unit, in the instructions were every single parameter. Oh wow! Written so that you could 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 take those parameters and program them into your plugins in your computer without even needing the UD Stomp, and you could program into those waves delays or whatever delays you're using on your computer yep. and make those sounds. You know, so it was pretty amazing. I mean, you know, there's just so much maybe people when, don't know that about him, but... No idea. When did that pedal come out? Uh, Jesus, that's so long ago. Like, Good question. Are we talking 80s or... Maybe late 80s. Wow. Or not, early 90s. I don't know, really. But it was a gray pedal. I definitely bought one. You still got and it? No. Because I don't, I didn't need it. I, I, the instruction sheet was all I needed because I programmed that shit into my computer, <laughs> and I figured out I didn't use his patches. I figured out my own that worked better for me. Mm -hmm. But it was the same concept, right? Not the same delay times, but the same concept. And and all that stuff that that people hear on my records when I use that sound, that's coming from a plugin in my computer. Delays, multi delay taps programmed. So that when you roll into them with a the volume pedal, they just sort of like go. Yeah. Uh, on Vibe Station, the song Calhoun, while I'm playing, you know, the first half of the solo, there's no comping. And when the comping comes in, that's the comping. Right. It's like a string string section. It's like all of a sudden the strings come in. Yeah. It's gorgeous.
you know, and Alan invented it. Wow. It's like something that guitar players have been using now for a long time, and they owe it to Alan because he invented it. That's his thing. Crazy. First person to ever do it. Yeah. Which is amazing. You know, like something that, yeah, it's just, wow. He did, he invented, he invented that. Do you have a favorite album? I like Secrets. It's a pretty cool record. Mm -hmm. I I like, you know, I tend to like the records, um, you know, sometimes I like to hear him play with keyboard players, you know, and, and, um, but sometimes not. I don't think Secrets has a keyboard player on it. It doesn't, but but there's a lot of really nice writing and some really cool playing, and I like his tone a lot on that record. His tone varied a lot, you know, because he was always trying out different gear and stuff. Sometimes he was using transistor amps. Sometimes he was using tube preamps. And I remember I called him one time, and I asked, there was a particular tone on Secrets that I really liked, and he told me it was a Lee Jackson preamp through a, Boogie Power Amp, I think. Mm-hmm. And I bought one, and I used it for a little while. really liked it. I, I, it wasn't my thing, really, um, for live, but in the studio, it was really cool, and I, I tracked a couple tunes with it. Right. But it wasn't for me. You know, a lot of times, you know, you hear someone play gear, and it, it sounds really good, but then when you play it, it doesn't sound the same, obviously. Yeah, right. paint so tone. I could never get those <clears throat> tones out of that thing that Alan got. Right. But but so it's he was he like a nines? Did he play with nines? Eights. Eights. He did play yeah. with eights. Played with eights. Wow. That's why he used a Norman eighty seven mic. Right. Because if you if you try to record eights with a fifty seven, it's going to sound really thin. So he needed <laughs> the same kind of mic that they put on vocalists, not a dynamic mic, but a condenser mic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like a Neumann, and those are specifically ma- made to make mid-range sound huge so that when you sing into it, your voice just sounds like massive. So when you put that on a guitar, it does the same thing. If you're playing really, really small strings, that microphone will make it sound much bigger. It'll make it sound like 10s yep. or 11s even. And that's why Alan's tone didn't sound like 8s because he used a, 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 always used a Neumann 87. What's, that was what's his those mic. guitars he played? With the no headstock. Well, he played he played um, um, Steinberger's for a little while, but then there was this guy. Um, uh, now his name just slipped my mind. I'm sorry, but he's a guitar maker in Florida, and I think he was in Florida, or is Bill Dunlap? Bill Dunlap. Mm-hmm. Does that sound? I don't know. Not either. Dunlop. Right. Dunlap. Dunlap. I might be wrong. Yeah. I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure there was a builder who, for the last years, was making Allen's guitars, and they were similar to Steinberger's, but they were real wood, mm-hmm. and they were chambered. They were hollow inside. Oh, wow. And they had, um, you know, the whammy on them and no headstock, and they're very expensive instruments. Yeah. Really expensive. But Allen played those, I think, Pretty yeah. much exclusively for the last years. Yep. Yeah. yeah, man, it's hard to see that guy go. So Another thing he invented, which was interesting, is he invented the double pole, uh, I mean, double screw pickup. He, he basically found out through, I guess, through experimentation, because one thing Alan could do is he really was a gear guy. Like, he knew the ins and outs of gear, and he really was hands-on right so he figured out that you could take a regular pickup 
you know how pickups have one row of screws and one row of bobbins? Yep. He found out that if you take a pickup and take two screw pieces and put them together, instead of having screws on both things, you know, yep. that it gives you a completely different sound than a traditional humbucker because since the screws are are even with the other sets of screws, it picks up a bigger window of the string. Oh, wow. Okay. Because if you've got screws and pole pieces, one is going to be more powerful right. than the other. Yeah. So it's going to sound more like a single coil because more of that one coil is hearing the string than the other coil. I'm not sure which, but mm -hmm. one is going to be more powerful than the other. So when you put the same coil together, two sets of screws, you pick up a bigger window of the string and it sounds less like a single coil and more like a horn. More like right. a, more mid-range, more a bigger mid-range. And he invented that. And Seymour Duncan made, for a long time, they made the SH-1, which was the, the um, 59, you know, the, the traditional yeah. 59 yep. pickup that Seymour Duncan's been making forever. Yep. They made the 59 <coughs> Holdsworth version, which was a 59 double screw version. And... Um, the thing about it was it sounded silkier and smoother than a traditional humbucking pickup, but it didn't have much bass. Right. And Alan didn't care about bass. He cared about mid-range. He wasn't ever going for like a big sound like, say, Jeff Beck, you know, who has this massive kind of like full-range big Stratocaster tone. He wasn't going for that sound. He was going for mids, fat mids. And that pickup gave it to him right so the the when i tried it didn't work for me because it didn't it didn't have any bass and i want a big i was always going for more of a big sound yeah and so real humbuckers work better for me if i'm going to use a humbucker but that was the but when i put that pickup on my guitar to try it i was like wow this really does have a sound and i used it on a couple records um, it has a particular sound. It really does. It's so different than a traditional 59. Wow. And, of course, it would be because it's just yeah. you know, physically completely different. Completely different. Hmm. So, anyway, you know, to go on off a rant, but that Alan invented some amazing shit. Um, he invented the harness, which was the first step into uh, what are now IRs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. That yeah, about that. Alan. Alan invented a long box that looked like a coffin, kind of, you know. And he took one speaker, and he put it at the end of the coffin, and he had foam all in it and stuff. And he had the mic inside that speaker. Yeah. Um, and 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 it was all enclosed, so he didn't have to play loud. And the reason he didn't have to play loud was he, 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 he invented a piece of hardware that it's basically a load box, um, like John's reactive load yep. in a way, but you would take the output of the speaker out of the amp, plug it into Alan's box, box right. plug that into like a transistor power amp that has no color at all, a really low wattage one, like a 25 watt or 50 watt little little carbon power amp or something like that. And the idea is that it doesn't have any color, so it doesn't color your tone at all. Yeah. 
and then that was what would power the speaker, but it would power it very softly. So the speaker would be literally talking volume hmm. inside this box. Because I think anybody knows if you try to turn up a speaker cabinet loud inside a box, you Same get a bunch box. of ricocheted sounds that sound like crap and they make a, a lot of really ugly frequencies and it doesn't work. But if the speaker's really soft inside the box and it's not ricocheting around because it's so soft, because I remember I was down at his house and he opened it. I said, how loud is that speaker? And he opened it up and it was barely whispering. Like we could talk over it. Wow. And he was playing and recording and the sound that was coming out of the speakers sounded like a real amp, loud amp turned up. When in fact, the speaker was whisper quiet because the load box was, you know, <clears throat> doing the speaker's job, taking yep. all the heat from the amp and the amp was cranked. And so he was like super inventor of what now is the, like the Sur load box and IRs and that whole technology. Yep. Basically, Alan was there way before anybody else. I had was. no idea he was yeah. such a, a tech guy like that. Oh, totally, man, totally. He was so ahead of his time. In, so he as, was as he, an inventor. He was a tinkerer, and like he got way, in amongst it. Yeah, way, man. I mean, it was amazing. All the stuff that he figured out with gear. He was yeah. so ahead of his time. Uh, incredible, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did he just release an album? The last time I heard they were releasing a box set of previously released stuff. I'm not right. sure if it's remixed or remastered or any. I don't know anything about He's, it. He was doing but. some work with Virgil, right? Yeah, and I don't know if they record. I see that's how little I know because I wasn't really in touch with them about what he was doing. Yeah. Um, I was just sort of like everybody else, knowing that he had a pledge thing going on, and thinking that pretty soon there's going to be a new album. But I don't know why or, you know, it didn't happen or, or if it was ever going to happen. I don't know much. I'm sure the fans that are listening know more than I do about it. I, I just I, know he had a pledge thing happening. Yeah, I read an article, of, I think, with some of the guys that were involved in that. And it kind of, I think they were waiting, waiting on Alan to finish it or he hadn't finished the tracks or it was yeah. it kind of fell in the hole a little bit. I don't know anything, man. But, I um, wish I did. I, I yeah. was just looking forward to the, there was going to be a new album and it was, it would be interesting to see what he was doing now after so many years of not making a record because he hadn't made, made a record in what, I don't know, nine or 10 years wow. maybe. Then do you know why? Well, I mean, no, I guess I don't. Right. I don't. I, I can't even speculate yeah. as to why, because I guess I know that he had a home studio, but when he got divorced, he moved out of his house, so he didn't have a studio, and yep. I guess to make an album, he'd have to go into a real studio, or somebody would have to loan him their studio to go in to record, and I don't know if it was about money or whatever, right. or I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Alan was such a creative person and he did so many records. It did seem weird to me that all of a sudden he wasn't making records anymore. But people probably thought that about me too. Because 10 years went by or 8 years went by between Tore Down House and Well to the Bone. And the reason I didn't was because my daughter was born. Yeah. yeah. And I spent 8 years hanging out in Disneyland and, <laughs> and not locking myself in my room 
composing. Yeah, yeah. And now she's old enough where where it's like, Angela, you want to do something? Nah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm texting my friend right now. I'm so, busy, so now I can lock myself in my room again right. and write. You get back to that. Yeah, but that, that but sense. yeah, but it, you know, there, there's always some reason that that. Yeah. And who knows what it was with Alan? I really have no idea. But yeah. I was looking forward to hearing another record from him. Yeah, I'm sure mm-hmm. you're in many more. Yeah. So. Well. What do you think, Bruce? Well, on that note, um, yeah, we kind of ended with talking about Alan, but... Brought it back home. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, I guess we will... I'll have more stories. I'll have more stories about him when the time is appropriate. Yeah. And yeah. then that's, I'm sure we're yeah. going to get a shitload For of emails sure. There's a, a There's a lot of funny ones. There's a lot yeah. of really funny ones. He was... Yeah. A, he, he loved... His beer, right? He loved making yeah. beer and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. He made his own beer. In fact, that shit was powerful. Yeah. Because I went down to his house with TJ one time, and he gave me a little glass like this, a small glass of his beer. Yep. And I th- thought, oh, it's just beer. So I just drank it. It was like drinking <laughs> that Jack Daniels. Wow. Total, it's you know, whiskey. Yeah. It was really, really strong. And I had to wait at his house for hours. I couldn't drive. Nobody could. TJ couldn't either. We were wasted just from his beer. And I think when he does the compression thing on it, I think it like triples the alcohol content and something. But I could not drive on that shit. I would have loved to have had a beer with him. Yeah, he was a beer expert. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, guys, we'll... Okay, uh, guys. Till next week. And... uh, We'll catch you all then. Keep the emails coming, the donations. Yeah, how about some questions? And, 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 and you know <laughs> how about what would be some really donations? good? Donations. Uh, what would be really good is if you want to ask a question, because Troy's not going to go through your letters to find them. So I, I read them, but... Well, yeah, but you really shouldn't have to. If the viewers want to ask a question, make the question the subject title. Mm, that's a good question. And there you go, you know, or, or just say question and make that the first sentence of or, your letter. Or maybe use a question mark. That's always really good. Question too. marks are good, but but and if don't hide it in a paragraph. Yeah, I mean, if if you've got a question, make it the very first sentence and of highlight the letter. it and draw lines around it and draw arrows <laughs> yeah. to it and make it pretty. Draw a dog like right <laughs> after the question and a cat before the question. And I, that way, when Troy sees a dog and cat, if you put we'll boobies know. in there, I'm probably gonna like look at the question more. And <laughs> and also, does anybody um, is anybody listening? If there is anybody listening <laughs> to those two people that are listening, I mean, we had that really cool contest, and you guys won prizes, and we were really thinking about having another contest based on my dog Standers. Yes, and and I was gonna bring. I, I'm. I just. We just dropped the ball on it because we didn't really get any interest. But we've got pedals and stuff to give away. So if you're into like looking at a piece of poop and trying to find the face on it, and you want to like you know draw, I would say do it like this. All right. Okay. You. We put the poop on the website. I've got about twenty pictures (laughs) of standards, different standards at different angles. Right. Right. If you want to win something very minimal, 
like say a pick or something like that maybe maybe you can just with a pencil you know send us a scan of the you know where you think the <laughs> eyes and nose and mouth are and if you get it right maybe you get a pick i think they should post them on our uh Facebook site. Yeah, you know, just, I mean, yeah. so what? So you can see the face. Anybody can do that. Anybody can look in a cloud and see a face. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to be the face that we see. <laughs> but I definitely see some faces. Anyway, um, uh, you, you know, you sketch the face. You just put your little liners on where the where the where the nose mouth and you know stuff is eyes and and there you go and you win something very small but if you want to be creative if you want to draw on it and actually draw something that really looks like the real person or the, the person you think that is yeah on there and use your creative artistic talent would be amazing or if you want to send in a real photo <laughs> of a person that looks the most like the face on the poop. Like if it happens to look like Prince Philip or, or, or Pope John II and you happen to, you know, see that thing and you send it in and we happen to agree, you win something like a pedal okay. or something like that. But don't send shit. No, don't send real poop because we can't. We don't have time to investigate it. <laughs> I love poop, but don't send the real thing. All right, so you're gonna you're gonna give me these photos to post. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, We're I'll send a bunch of them to All you. Right. I, I, but that's only if people. Why don't you write for next week and let's see if anybody's really into right. winning anything? Because if if it's gonna just gross people out to see poop, then I don't want to gross people out. I happen to think it's funny. <laughs> You well, know, when I saw Moses on The Last Stander, I was like, wow, that's Moses. But hold it. You say you don't want to gross people out. We've, we're 68 episodes in. We've already done that. So <laughs> yeah, we, we pretty yeah. much should just run with it. I think we should run with it. And uh, well, yeah, we've maybe had we'll... people ask about the poop before. Okay. So um, well, let's do it. Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. We're out until next All right. week. Keep guitar wanking, share it with your friends, share it with your enemies, share it with your mother-in-law. Guitar wank out. Later, bitch. Later, bitches. <laughs>